Welcome to Beyond the A, where our mission is to destigmatize the topic of anxiety and provide you with the tools and resources to excel in your career and beyond. I'm so pleased to have our next guest with us today. This is Dr. Andrew Benjamin. Andy is an affiliate professor of law and a clinical professor of psychology at the University of Washington. Outside of law, he's a psychologist in Seattle and works with families engaged in high conflict litigation and lawyers suffering from mental health and drug abuse. Uh, needless, needless to say, he is very well versed in this topic, and we're just so excited to have you on. Andy, thank you for joining us on the show today. Hey, my pleasure, Stephen. My gosh, if our conversation before the recording started was the podcast, there's so much to learn already. Um, so let's just jump right into this. Um, how did you get started on this path? As a first-year law student in the spring of my first year, our third-year mentor to our small section committed suicide. Mm. Uh, and he, he was a wonderful man, a compassionate, gentle, gracious soul. And uh, our law school, University of Arizona, much to its everlasting shame, failed to talk about the reasons um, that led to the suicide, failed to inform the student body about what it could do to, to process the feelings that were emerging all around me. I'd already picked up that law school and its pedagogy was probably the worst of all pedagogies, at least that I had experienced at that point. And this just, it, it was like pouring salt on wounds, mm-hmm. uh, that death and really unfortunate death. Turned out 20 years later, I was at uh, um, a graduation on a party for my class, a 20th year reunion, and I learned that that he had committed suicide because he had a small insurance policy, and our dean, a guy named Henderson, who refused to let him extend out a fourth year. He was broke, had a child and a wife. He wanted to work for six months and then get back to law school and finish up. Dean refused him, um, and he shot himself. So pretty awful. Pretty awful outcome. And I don't want that for anybody listening in on, on our podcast. I want to say that I've treated thousands of lawyers and, you know, you each have the skills and the unique gifts to, to really heal yourselves. Um, and I, I want, want to, to help. Hopefully this is a call to action. If you are feeling depressed, if you are isolated, Please, please reach out. Please connect with people who care about you. You have so much to offer our world. No, thank you for that, Andy. And I think it's great to have you here today because I think the conversation is starting to shift um, in today's generation on this topic. But I can only imagine what it was like, like 20, 30 years ago, how it came to be. So it's even worse than that, almost 40 years ago. I'm old, Stephen. I'm old. Uh, you're looking very young. So those who are joining us on the video, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, hard to tell. So I, I guess like leading on to that, I mean, this, this must have shocked you from the system. And did you know from an early stage that you wanted to get into research on this topic? Because this must be quite new and novel back in the day to have that dual law and psychology aspect of it. So um, serendipity enters into our lives and it certainly entered into my life. And I got a call out of the blue from um, the chairman of our psychology department, uh, Juan Wheeler at University of Arizona, 
And he had read my undergraduate thesis and got published in a law review article and thought that I would be a good candidate. They were starting a JD PhD program at Arizona, hiring a guy named Bruce Sales, one of my mentors, to, to launch that program. But they needed a student. So they recruited me out of first year law school um, that spring, um, right shortly before I learned about the suicide. Um, and um, so I was admitted to the doctoral program and I knew I needed a dissertation and I uh, put together uh, my dissertation proposal and convinced people that, that really to try to find out about the acculturation process of, of law students through before, during, and after law school would, would be a really important contribution to the literature. There wasn't anything out there published at that point uh, from empirical data, a lot of speculation, a lot of commentary, but, but no empirical articles to speak of. And so um, that's how I got involved in conducting all the research that, that I've done. Had three different research groups over the years and I'm happy to talk about those findings when, when you would like to learn more about them. Yeah, I know for sure. And then that's the reason why we're having you on the call today to actually talk about these findings because I read one of your articles, you talked about how you know, 32% of um, students suffer from depression by the end of 1L and it jumps up to 40%. What is the rationale for that from a research perspective that you found during your studies? It really has to do with the pedagogy. We got great data. Um, there's seven really sound methodological studies. So what do I mean by that? These are longitudinal approaches that use well-validated and highly reliable measures. Um, they have... Um, adequate samples. We know that the samples um, compare well to the population being studied. We've looked at the comparisons and know there are no differences. Um, and um, we have a high response rate over time, so we don't lose people and lose data as a result. So that first study that I talked about, my dissertations, and so I know that before law school, actually law students are healthier than the normal population or any other graduate school population. Mm -hmm. And even undergraduates were healthier. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't take much exposure to the pedagogy of law school um, for people to begin to break down. Mm -hmm. um, Amitai Etzioni is a sociologist who's just a terrific um, scholar um, speculated when he was guest teaching at the law, uh, law school back east in the 60s. He, 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 he just called it out. He said, look, this is an authoritarian structure, top-down structure, and there's a lot of shaming, humiliation that's going on because the Socratic process is being botched by a lot of my, my colleagues in academia, um, and, and students get hurt out of that. Um, there's another one of these um, really good methodological studies um, that Sheldon Krieger published out of Florida State. Um, they used the same measures and other measures to really pinpoint the cause of, of all this psychopathology. So not only did they replicate the, those horrible data you just spoke about, you know, a third, to 40% of our law students are suffering from major depression. That's horrific, you know? And they replicated those data 
but they also were able to point us to why the pedagogy broke those kids down. And it has to do with shifting people off of their values, away from themselves, and getting them to think like lawyers, getting them to, to really have their behavior shaped by the externalities of what goes on. So did you make move court? Did you get on law review? Did you get that first, that great first summer job? Did you go on it? Yeah, all that crap that people think is so important. It actually turns out to be not very important when you look at psychopathology of the lifespan for lawyers. It doesn't matter how well you've done in law school, you're still at risk for psychopathology. A third of the actively practicing lawyers in any given jurisdiction are suffering from either depression or what I like to call dysphoria, a combination of depression, anxiety, and hostility, um, or alcoholism, or both. A third. We have data that's been published and corroborated by three different studies. Um, and those data haven't changed over the years. Um, yeah, that leads to my next question. I think you just answered it. You know, whether that data has changed, if it's... Um you know, gotten better, gotten worse. But I, I, when you're when you're speaking, I, I completely relate. Where you know, before going to law school, which is when I read your study, and guys, we'll link up the the, the link to the article um, in this uh, podcast details. But you talked about yeah, how students going into law school were generally very happy, very positive, and there has been a shift going into law school, um, seeing those patterns emerge. Now, in your article, you talked about you know various tips and um, suggestions on things to do. One of them talks about, um, talks about working with a psychologist. And for someone who's never seen a psychologist and is foreign, what happens? What is it like? What happens in a session like this? Because part of the stigma is that there's quite a bit of unknown. So, you know, for a law student who is going through this, what happens in a, in a meeting with a psychologist? So I, I would urge people to, if they're interested in, in, um, trying some psychotherapy to, to focus on psychologists because we have more training than other mental health professionals to select a, a psychologist, um, two or three psychologists that they can learn about through the state psychological associations. They all have referral list um, and pick two or three who are um, trained in cognitive behavioral psychology. Um, that's an empirically, empirically supported um, treatment approach that has wonderful outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, and we've been able to show those outcomes over many studies. Um, there's another form of, of psychotherapy called interpersonal psychotherapy that also has wonderful outcomes. Um, so call up those two or three psychologists, lay out what you're suffering and listen, ask those psychologists, how would you approach my treatment? And then trust your gut instinct. Pick among the three that makes the most amount of sense to you. Now, I also want to say that it's not necessary to go get psychological treatment. Mm -hmm. You know, so much of, of what you can do to prevent uh, um, yourselves from getting unhealthy, um, or if you are unhealthy and are already suffering from depression or anxiety or, or alcoholism or drug abuse, is, is to start 
working on on acting more congruently with your values. Before you came to law school, all but 10% of us weren't suffering from any psychopathology. Really healthy, happy people by and large. It's a small group that 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 entered law school impaired, but that's a small group. The rest of us, and by the way, that small group that entered the law school impaired, there's hope for you too. <laughs> I promise there's hope. Um, but for the rest of us, uh, um, there's also hope. And just acting congruently with the values we started with before law school can take care of so much of what afflicts us. So what do I mean by that? Well, you know, we know that developing greater consciousness about ourselves is helpful. So do you have a meditation practice? Something that you can easily learn to do on your own that would help you focus and, and, and heal your psyches coming out of the intense you know, pressure cooker that those law schools classes tend to be. Um, are you uh, um, acting congruently with your health values, your physical health values, for instance, you're eating well, not the fast food that we're tempted to go for, you know, because it's so caloric and it makes us feel good immediately. But, you know, balanced diets, you know, all the nutritional facts that you know about, you know about, you know, are you moderate um, consumers of alcohol? You know, we know from um, the Centers for Disease Control that on any given drinking occasion with people, with food, that men should have no more than two standard portions of alcohol on any given occasion. Women, no more than one standard portion of alcohol on any given occasion. You know, so those, those are the recommendations that, that we should adhere to. Um, we know that that exercise can help us sleep well. Um, and so we need to have good exercise through the days. We know that, that we should get seven, eight hours of sleep every night. And frankly, all that, those cases that are assigned to you, please don't read them all. Triage, triage what you read. You know, um, read what's important. Um, but there are many, many um, outlines online that, that can lay down the black letter law and then listen to your professors about what they think are important for you to learn. Even though they're gonna hide the ball a lot of the time, it's kind of frustration, frustrating, you know, viewed as a puzzle, pull out of, of those, those hidden messages that those pref professors are, are, are lobbying at you, the pearls, and get those into your outlines. So it's manageable. Law school can be much more manageable um, than many of us make it. But we've got to take care of ourselves and we've got to act congruently with our values. No, I completely agree. And thank you for those very valuable tips. Now, I want to dive into also your work outside of law school. So um, some of our audience, they are practicing lawyers. Mm. And would you say that these tips also apply for those who are in practice? And what have you seen during your time, you know, working as a psychologist in Seattle with lawyers who are suffering from mental health and drug abuse? What are some preventative measures that we could take if there's anything that, that differs from to a law student? So all these tips apply for practicing lawyers too. Um, 
But then there's, there is also a, um, a real important um, approach that needs to be taken. You, for lawyers in particular, we need to um, be working in the area of law that, that is challenging to us, that we, that, that we like intellectually to grapple with. If you're not in area of law that you're, you're uncomfortable with, you gotta, you gotta make the transition. Mm -hmm. Go to that area of law that you're gonna be more comfortable with. Mm -hmm. you, need, you need to be working with people you know you work well with. All of us don't work well with some kinds of people. Just, we just don't. And so you need to figure out what those type of people are and make sure that for me, it's a particular kind of personality disorder. Anybody like Trump, I don't treat very well. Mm -hmm. I just don't. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't, I can't bring my empathy to bear. So I don't work with those sociopathic narcissists. Mm -hmm. you know, it just can't do it. Um, well, for lawyers, you will, some people can't work with dependent folk. Some people can't work with passive aggressive folk. Some people can't work with people who don't tell truth well. You know, so whatever it is, note that. And then, you know, set up your practices so you're not working with that kind of person. And then the last point is, and this is what I call the rule of two, um, it, the cases need to be a full pay case or an elective pro bono or low bono case. So make sure you're getting paid. And so those two out of three factors, type of law, type of person you work well with, and full pay or an elective pro bono, low bono case, need to be in place for at least 85% of your caseload. Hmm. Two out of three factors need to be present for 15% of your caseload. When I treat lawyers, I find that more than half of the cases, when they do an assessment of their, their caseload, more than half of their cases violate the rule too. Hmm. They only have got maybe one factor gone. And it's just soul crushing. Can't do that. I think now that you mentioned that, I reflect upon my experience working at a big law firm. Yeah, there were definitely some partners that I didn't vibe with right from the beginning. And I think I kept trying and I kept trying. But you're right. Sometimes being very deliberate about that can be very um, rewarding. And it could really shift that mindset in the way we approach our practice. So yeah, thank I mean, you for you just that. put your finger on something that's critical. Agency. Mm, yeah. If you're feeling put upon, it doesn't work real well in this world. If you're activated through your agency, congruent with your values, that's a greater degree of consciousness that will help you function better and feel better about yourself. So one more question on this aspect that's linked to your previous response. From a future looking perspective, like what are ways that we as a culture can shift this conversation on anxiety and mental health and profession. And I know you're doing a lot in the law school, but you know, what would you say are ways that we can together, you know, pivot this conversation and make sure that they're more happier lawyers in the, in the world today. So um, this is the, the kind of four C's that, that I would love people to kind of stay focused on. So developing greater consciousness. We've talked a little bit about that acting congruently with your values. Talked a little bit about that. Um, we haven't talked about the final two C's, creativity and community. Lawyers to sustain themselves over the lifespan, uh, um, and I've worked with lawyers across the lifespan, thousands of lawyers, treated thousands of lawyers to develop and implement 
the Washington State Bar Association Lawyer Assistance Program. And I had 120 peer counselors out of, out of that program. Most of them were in active recovery. Um, they were alcoholics who were in active recovery and very happy, healthy people who were kind of towards the end of their profession, professional life, in their 50s, 60s, and 70s in some instances. And that happiness was generated because almost all of those people were engaged in some sort of creative, creative effort. They wrote poetry, they played music, um, they were cooks, they were gardeners, they were martial artists, they were, you know, whatever it was, they felt passionate about. And then there's this other aspect, community. These people were in active communities that were focusing on connecting with one another. And the instance of um, the, my peer counselors, they were, many of them were you know, working AA um, and going to lawyer meetings um, that were focusing upon sustaining the sobriety. But many of those uh, um, uh, um, lawyers were also leaders in the governance structure of our bar association and, and collecting healthy communities of people within the governances of our bar associations. And so I would strongly advocate that, you know, whatever really you feel passionate about as a lawyer, you find communities of people who share your passion, whether it's in creative efforts or in the practice of law itself, so that you can connect with people, either through your creativity or through these um, working communities. That's a really good framework. And um, thanks for sharing that as well, too. The, the one question we like to ask our guests when they come on the show is that, you know, if they're, if they were to go back to their one L self, so if I were to bring you back, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, maybe, <laughs> many years back. And 40 years for me, Stephen, 40, 40 years. 40 years. I'm an old guy, <laughs> You still look, look very young and, and very vibrant. So 40 years ago, this is your first day of law school, Andy. And if you were to send a note or letter to yourself, back to yourself back in that day, what would you say in that letter? Yeah. You, well, to me, um, to all of us, we all enter law school with a unique set of gifts. And um, I have never met a lawyer I haven't grown to feel really um, strongly um, um, connected with. Uh, um, we're smart. We, most of us have really good pro-social values. Um, we care about others and, and we act on those lines. And so I would ask that you find those kindred spirits in that, that first day, that first week, that first month, first year of law school mm -hmm. that you can connect with because of shared interest and, and shared values. You'll find them. They're there. Um, and they'll provide you lifelong friendships. Um, and I think that that's a really um, kind of key uh, um, takeaway from, I, I hope that people um, take um, from this, this podcast 
don't don't let yourself get isolated in this profession. So easy to do. The pedagogy sets us up for isolation. Please don't do that. Community is really critical. Find your community or communities um, and really commit to being active members in those communities. It will, it will make a difference. So Andy, if there's something that law schools throughout Canada can do or throughout U.S. can do to help shift this conversation, like what would you suggest? Yeah, I would advocate that anybody who would like to set up a peer support program uh, among law students, staff, and faculty in their law schools, um, get a hold of me. I'll give you uh, um, um, the nuts and bolts about how to get that program launched effectively. When we launched it here at the University of Washington, we saw an immediate change in the climate of our school. We give students one credit per term. They can take it up to three terms. They learn basic counseling skills. And they are ambassadors of civility in our law school. And it's uh, just remarkable how the climate's changed. I used to treat a fifth of all of our law students at the University of Washington. I now only treat an eighth. And I attribute this to this wonderful program. Uh, so I would urge that, that um, um, e- you know, each, each person in, in other law schools consider being change agents and launching this kind of program in their own law school. Love to help them on it. If anybody wants to get a hold of me directly, um, please give them my email address. I'm, I'm happy to talk with people individually. Um, I can't treat people out of great state of Washington because I'm not licensed to, but I would certainly love to talk with folks and answer their questions. So I don't, I, I don't want anybody listening to this podcast kind of thinking, oh, impossible. No, for sure. Andy, yeah. yeah. And Andy, what would your email address be or the best way to reach out to me? That, um, the GAHB54 at uw.edu address. Wow, Andy. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. So for those who are listening, um, check out our website, beyondthea.co. Follow us on Instagram at beyondthea.co. We'll have a link up to Andy's article. And if you want to learn more, um, check it out. So that's it for today. Chat soon.